earth. And this is another one of those people. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and then Psalm 84. I'm going to read Psalm 84 first, verses 10 and 11. It says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than, in, than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir, wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. When they came to the Naakon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. They called the name of the place Perazuzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedidim and the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opportunity to open the Bible together tonight. Help me to be clear and that it would be a message that would be a blessing to someone in here today and that you would uh, use this uh, for your honor and glory and for our edification, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was a very interesting uh, piece of furniture. It was made out of special wood, and then it was overlaid with gold, and it was to be carried by staves. In other words, these long rods, there were rings attached to the four corners of the ark, and you would slide these long poles through the rings, and they would carry them on their shoulders, uh, and that's how they would transport the ark. And if you read here, you saw that Uzzah, when he saw that the cart, why did they use a cart? That wasn't the, how they were supposed to do it. They were supposed to uh, carry it, and only the Kohathites were supposed to be doing the carrying but they were using a cart, which was already mistake number one. And then when the, when the oxen stumbled and the cart slid and the, and the ark started to slide, Uzzah reached out and touched the ark, and God smote Uzzah to death. The ark was a very interesting piece of furniture. It was this kind of a box overlaid with gold, and, and it had on the top lid would be the mercy seat, and that would be kind of the place where God's presence would be. And then there would be two cherubs, which would be like what we would referred to as angels or cherubs that had these wings and these wings would would cover over the mercy seat 
And uh, that, that was the Ark of the Covenant. You can read about some of that in Exodus chapter 25. I guess we could turn there and read some of those things and give a little more background. But Exodus chapter 25 and uh, verse 10 and following, Exodus 25, 10. To make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half, shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half, the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half, the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without, shalt thou overlay it and shalt make upon it a crown of gold around about, and thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it and two rings in the other side of it, and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubs of pure gold of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat and make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be and thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give to thee in, in commandment unto the children of Israel. And so it's kind of a picture here because the law, the testimony, the Ten Commandments was put inside the ark. The mercy seat was on top, and they would sprinkle the blood of the atonement on the mercy seat. And so uh, the law which was broken was covered by the blood, and there's a, there's a, a, a symbol there. It's also symbolizing God's presence, the very mercy seat, the fact that he was there. And it was God's presence and his power. And, and uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was never supposed to be thought of as powerful by itself. And even Hollywood and, uh, has tried to make movies of it, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's totally unbiblical. Uh, that has nothing to do with it. But in the Old Testament, God's presence was there. And that was, that was the presence of God on the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant. Well, when the people of Israel got away from the Lord during the days of, of Eli, back in 1 Samuel chapter number 4, Eli was the priest, but he was not doing right. He was not resi- restraining his own children. His own children, his own sons were not following and walking in the ways of God. And, and God told Samuel, I'm going to have to kill Eli. I'm going to have to kill his two sons. I'm going to have to remove him from office because of what he has done, what he's allowed. He's restrained them not. And so uh, th- this was a bad time. Things were not going well. And the Philistines were their constant enemy. And they were trying to figure out ways to fight them and to beat them. And Hophni and Phinehas were the two sons of Eli. Well, they got a bright idea. Maybe what we should do in First Samuel chapter number 4, maybe what we should do is grab the ark. And maybe if we have the ark out there on the battlefield with us, then the Philistines will be defeated. So in verse 3, and when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So now they're going to use this thing like a talisman or, or like some sort of lucky rabbit's foot as, this, as if that's going to make a difference. The problem is they don't understand it's their own, uh, their own doings and not being right with the Lord is the reason why God's not blessing them. 
Verse 4, so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of the Lord of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And they were excited. Woohoo! we're going to win now. And uh, the Philistines heard the shout, and they were a little bit nervous about it. You know, what's got them all excited? What, what, what's going on here? So in verse 7, it says, The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us. And so the Philistines understood the power of God. They knew who God was. Uh, they knew that God's the one that smote the Egyptians years before. So they encouraged themselves to fight and to be strong. And God allowed the Philistines to win. It says in verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli what had happened and how that his sons had been slain. And Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled out of, today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled from the Philistines. And there hath been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. It came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, not his two sons that died, but when the messenger made mention of the ark of God being taken, that he fell from off the seat where backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou shalt, hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did regard it. And she named the child Ichabod. And the Ichabod means the glory is departed. She named the child Ichabod, saying the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. What happened next is the Philistines took the ark of God and they put it into their house of their other gods, the, the god of Dagon. That didn't work out so well for the Philistines. And um, God is in the ark god's presence is there but god didn't help the israelites however god wanted to teach the philistines some things and so so uh, the next morning when they came in they found their god dagon flat on his face on the floor that was kind of embarrassing so they helped dagon back up and they stood him back up uh but uh, i think god was saying hey dagon i'm god around here you can put your nose on the floor so the next day when they came in they found dagon smack down on the floor again this time is his hands were smacked off. His head was smacked off of the idol. And they realized that uh, there's something with this ark of God. All about the same time, they also had emeralds. And I'm not sure what emeralds are, but they had them. Someone has suggested that emeralds were probably something like hemorrhoids. Oh, I don't know about that, but I can tell you whatever it was, they didn't like it. It was bad. 
And so the Philistines had had this ark for about seven months, and they couldn't handle it any longer. And they, it was, became a hot potato, and they're pretty much passing it on here and passing it on there. Like, you take it. No, you take it. And nobody wanted this thing. It was, it was causing them problems. So finally, they decided, well, what we ought to do is, and, and they didn't know better. The Philistines didn't have the word of God. They're not God's people. But what they decided to do is get a cart with these two milk cows and to hook up these two milk cows to this cart. What, it, what that means is these are two mama cows who have calves. And we're going to hook up these two mama cows to this cart and we're going to put the ark into the cart. And then we're going to send the milk cows. And if they go straight towards Israel, we'll know. God wants that thing back in Israel and that's fine with us. But if those two milk cows refuse to leave the Philistine land because of their own babies, then we'll know that this must be just coincidence. Well, sure enough, they let those two milk cows go, and those two milk cows went bawling all the way back to Israel. In other words, they missed their babies, and they wanted them to be milked, and they, they needed them to be milked, but they were still being driven by God, if you could say it that way, and that cart went all the way back to the land of Israel. And the Philistines knew whatever is in that ark it's powerful. They understood that. They understood these things about the ark. And so what happens then is that we get to the end of chapter 6, and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 6 that it came into the land of Beth Shemesh. And, of course, the people of Beth Shemesh were excited. They knew what this was. been gone for over seven months. They knew it was the ark of God. They were all excited, but they did something really stupid. Verse 19 says he smote the men of Bethshemeth, God did, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men, 50,070 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Bethshemeth said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall we go up? Shall he go up from us? They were scared, and rightly so, 50,000 people. And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kirjath Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come you down and fetch it up to you. Still playing hot potato. Now it's Israelites. And they're saying, Hey, come get this thing. And they didn't bother to mention that they killed, it's, it's killed 50,000 of us. And so the men of kirjath Jerim came and fetched up the ark and brought it into the house of Abinadab. And it stayed in that house for quite a long time, about 20 years until 2 Samuel 6 where we read where David came and got it out of the house of Benadab. But you know what's, what's interesting is in that 20 years it sat on that cart or it sat somewhere because when David showed up and had it removed out of the house of Abinadab, look again at 2 Samuel chapter 6 where we started. It says... Verse 2, David rose and went with all the people that were with him from Baalai of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. Now, I think they probably used staves to do it. And they picked that thing up and they set it on a brand new cart. But the Bible said that they weren't supposed to handle it that way. Let me show you something in uh, Numbers chapter uh, Numbers chapter four, I believe it is. Numbers chapter four. The Bible said that only Levites were supposed to handle it, and not just any Levites, but the certain 
family of Levites, Numbers chapter 4 and verse number 15. And when Aaron and his sons had made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath of a Levite tribe, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. But never did God say that they were supposed to use a cart to carry the ark. They were always supposed to use those staves, a man or, or men on the front with the, rod, with the stave on their shoulder and a man or men on the back with staves on their shoulder and they were to bear it manually. And what happened is, is because the, the Philistines had used a cart, then when it got back to God's people, they just kept using the same old cart system. And they everything was permissible. It wasn't right, but it was permissible until one day that thing slid and, and fell and the ark started to slide and Uzzah reached out and touched it and God killed him. Well, God's so mean. No, God just said, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You aren't supposed to be touching it. Now, my guess is the Philistines touched it my guess is the Philistines probably looked inside of it. Guess is the Philistines, but see, the Philistines didn't know the same thing. But guess who's supposed to know what the Bible says? God's people supposed to know what the Bible says. And here's David. What's David trying to do? David's trying to do the right thing. He's, try, he's sincere. He just wants to get the ark back into the tabernacle where it ought to be. He wants to build the tabernacle. He wants to have the ark of God there. That's what he wants. He's trying to do the right thing. And, and all of a sudden, Uzzah reaches out and touches it. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and verse 8, David was displeased. He couldn't understand what happened. I don't understand what happened. So the Bible says in verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? And so now David's playing hot potato. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim, the Hagittite. Excuse me, your name's Obedidim? I'd like you to keep this thing. And Obedidim did. And tonight, this is about Obedidim. Can I ask you a question? If you'd been reading the newspapers and you knew that Eli fell over backwards and died and named his, and they named the grandchild of Ichabod and it, caused, it literally caused the broken neck of Eli <laughs> and then it brought disgrace to Israel, Ichabod, the glory is departed. And then it, it, it totally wiped out Dagon and knocked his head off. And then it brought some real discomfort to the Philistines, whatever that was. And then it killed 50,000 of the Bethshemite people. And then you just saw what it did to Uzzah. And now your king is scared to death of it. Oh, sure, we'll park it right over here. But he did. He did. You know why Obedidim wasn't afraid of the ark of God? Because Obedidim knew what the word of God said. Obedidim was a Levite. Obedidim understood the word of God. And Obedidim understood how you handle the ark. 
So after all this, why would anyone want to touch it, let alone keep it in their house? Wouldn't you be afraid of it? But the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11, the Lord blessed. This, this is the first time since this whole thing started and it got stolen. This is the, no, no hemorrhoids. No curses. No problems. In, instead, opposite. Blessing. Why? Because he knew the right thing to do. Folks, it is no one's fault but yours if you don't know the word of God. You say, yeah, but you're the pastor. Well, I can teach it and preach it, but I'm telling you right now, you and I, we have multiple Bibles in our house. Everybody in here probably has more than one copy of the Bible, which is more copies than a lot of people on planet Earth right, have right now. There's no reason why we can't know God's word better than we know it. There's no reason why we can't understand what God would have us to do. It's important that we really read and meditate and understand what God would have us to do. See, he knew that the ark wasn't really the problem. It was the wickedness and the disobedience of men in his present and in his past that was the problem. He was willing to house the ark. Even though the Philistines had learned, that wasn't a good idea to keep it in your house. He was willing. And by the way, it was in the house of Abinadab for 20 years, but it was Abinadab's own sons, Uzzah and Ahio, that found out the hard way. They didn't know how to handle the ark. Abinadab's son was Uzzah, and he didn't ever learn how to handle it. They had it stored there collecting dust, but they didn't appreciate it and know what it was about. And I think it's because they didn't read and understand what God said. And understand this, God had given them commandments about how to handle this thing. And what it was, it, the book of Moses was available. And Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this. Because what we see tonight is cursings and blessings. Blessing or curse. Deuteronomy 11 and verse number 26. Behold, I set before you this day blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way. See, in God's mindset, in God's economy, it's, the, it's just the way it always is. There's either blessing for obedience or then there's going to be reaping what you sow for disobedience. And you can't just overlook anything and think you can get away with it. Listen, there is a difference. There is a difference between being ignorant like the Philistines were and being willfully ignorant there's a difference between ought to know better and just couldn't possibly have known better. There's a difference between not, not doing diligence in your reading and studying of God's word and knowing what God says. Listen, if, if, if I was to have a, a, a little baby, my wife was to give birth and we were to have a little baby, I'm going to tell you right now, the very first thing we would do is find out what does that book say about how to handle this little baby? Not, not what all the professionals say. What, what does the professional say? And everything else in our life, if anything were to come my way, what would God have me to do with this? What would God have me to do with this? In all thy ways, it says in Proverbs chapter 3, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That is just words to live by. In all your ways, just acknowledge him. Find out what he'd have for you to do. Find out and then just do that. And his word teaches us what to do. Well, as I told you, David was trying to do the right thing, but he was trying to do the right thing the wrong way. David was being lazy. Now, the kings were supposed to have their own handwritten copy 
of the five books of Moses. They were supposed to take time and to actually write down by hand, their own hand. They couldn't have someone else do it. They were supposed to copy out the five books of Moses for themselves. That means David should have written everything that he needed to know. You know, for one thing, Deuteronomy 17 verse 17 says that kings were not to multiply wives. Had David just remembered that and just followed that, he would have never had more than one wife, which means he'd have never committed adultery with Bathsheba. He'd have never ended up having such a dysfunctional home because of that. There are so many things in God's word that when we just ignore it or forget it or not pay attention to it, it's in, it makes us trouble, make trouble for us. And that's what happened to David. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. What he wanted to do was right, but he was doing it the wrong way. And so I, I, I always kind of smile when I read him. Say, you know, I don't know if he knocked on his door. But, hey, oh, what's your name? Obedidum? Take it. And Abedidim didn't say, well, man, I don't want to. I just killed 50,000 plus people. It just killed that guy right there. He's there. He's laying there dead in the road. I don't, no, thank you. We don't have room. Abedidim took it. God blessed his house. God took care of Abedidim. Can I tell you something? There is nothing wrong with the word of God. But there are people out there that say, well, I tried it. It didn't work. Well, either you're trying the wrong Bible or you're not trying all of the Bible. But the word of God, if it will be followed and obeyed, there's nothing wrong with it. But maybe you're kind of like David and you mean well, but you're not doing it right. It's never right to do wrong to do right. You have to do God's word God's way. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We might as well go there and look at it. James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I'm glad that you come to church. And I'm glad you're hopefully listening to the word of God and not sleeping. But guess what? It isn't just enough to listen to it. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But he, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. There is no, as you walk in and out of the building, there is no ding, you're blessed now, you went to church. No, it's doing the word. And not just a hearer, but a doer. And as you get older, and if you're a parent and you have children listen, listening with you and sitting next to you, and they hear the same word you hear, but they see you not doing what you hear, guess what? You got a, you got a conundrum. Because now you've got children who say, wait a minute, you're not doing what... And that usually drives young people away. You need to be doers and not hearers only. And here's what's happened. David wanted to do the right thing, but he didn't take time to know what God said about the ark. He had allowed others, like Abinadab, and others convince him that this is the way, that, hey, we've been doing it this way for over 20 years. We've had this thing on a cart. That's just the way. Well, where did it, where'd the whole cart idea came from? From the Philistines. Hello, ding, ding. That should have been a, a red flag. The Philistines used the cart, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to use the cart. Beware of newfangled ideas when it comes to God and how we handle him. 
He's got methods and he's got instructions for how we're to handle him and how we're to conduct ourselves with him. But notice this back there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10 again. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord continued to the house of Obedidim, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. Blessed him. Verse 12, and it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obedidim and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. After three months had gone by and Uzzah had, they had the funeral for Uzzah, and the dust settled. King, did you did you know that Obedid and his family are just being blessed right now? Really? That scary ark? Yeah. They are. I mean, he and his whole family, I'm there enjoying. You wouldn't believe what's going on in his house. Wow. And it's because of the ark. So, second half of verse 12, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedid into the city of David with gladness. Now, I can't say for sure, although I do know for sure this happened. David found out what the problem was. Now, I don't know for sure, but because it doesn't say, I'm going to go ahead and use a little bit of imagination. David went. Obedidim, I heard that you're being blessed. Would you mind telling me what the secret is? Would you mind telling? Obedidim might have just said, King, Go read what the Bible says about it. It's been in the Bible all along. It's always been there. Just go read and see for yourself what it says. And you know what? Obedidim was such a nice, godly, humble man that he had no problem letting the king take the ark once the king understood how to take it. Look with me. There's a parallel passage in First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles chapter 13 and then we'll keep going in chapter 15. First Chronicles 13 and verse number 9. We'll just repeat the same story real quickly. First Chronicles 13 9. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark and the, for the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled upon Uzzah and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and there he died before God. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah unto this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of, home, of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obedidim, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obedidim in the house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obedidim and all that he had. Now, in chapter 15, we pick it up again. First Chronicles 15, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched it for a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. So David said, And by the way, why didn't the other Levites know this? David said, Listen, we're going to do this again. But this time, only the Levites are to handle the ark, not just anybody. David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites and the sons of Kohath. Remember, they're the ones. 
and on and on it goes. So we see now David being blessed by doing it God's way. And the Bible says, as we keep going, reading a few more verses here, we see the Obedidim's part of the group. It says here in verse 12, And said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel unto the place which I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. For that we sought him not after the due order. Because you guys didn't care it the right way to begin with, that's why God did what he did. Verse 14, So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded the, according to the word of the Lord. And you can read about that in Numbers and Exodus. David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to the, be singers and instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals and sounding by lifting up of the voice with joy. And it began to appoint all the different ones. In verse 18 it says, And with them their brethren of the second degree, the second degree, Zechariah, Ben, and Jehazel, and Shemaramoth, and Jehiel, and Uni, and Eliab, and Benaniah, and Meseliah, and Mattathiah, and Eliphalah, and Michnelah, and a guy named Obedidim, and Jael, the porters, the singers, and on and on it goes. And you get down to verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over the thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obedidim with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. I love how it says that in verse 26. Not only was Obedidim personally blessed in his family, David now was blessed and the Levites were being blessed. God helped them do it. See, when you do it the right way, God helps you do it the right way. When you do it the way God says to do it, God, God lends a hand. And God encouraged them and helped them along the way. It makes a huge difference when you obey God and you do it his way. I mentioned the verses. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I would imagine that most people who go to church today don't really believe the Bible. I would imagine that most people that go to the church today know that the Bible is a, sp a special book, but they don't necessarily read it and apply it to their personal lives. They don't understand that it is God's word to us. And you know who wants us not to know that? Satan. God's word is important, every part of it. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, or to carts and ideas you got from the Philistines. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. And we read on until you get down to verse 26. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Speaking of confidence, a couple other places. Isaiah 30. Isaiah chapter 30. As we turn to Isaiah chapter 30, I can just hear this conversation taking place. Hey, Abedidim, I heard that the, house, the ark of God is in your house. Aren't you guys scared? No. No, we, we know how to handle it. We know what we're supposed to be doing with it. 
And as long as we're obeying God, we have all the confidence in the world. Isaiah 30 and verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. When you obey God, there is blessed assurance. There is a peace and contentment and a confidence that only the world can provide. As I mentioned this morning in my Sunday school class, Proverbs chapter 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise and smart and have knowledge? Just fear God. And here's the thing. If you'll fear God, you'll have nothing to fear. Because you fear the word and what he said, you don't have to fear him. David was afraid when he saw Uzzah die. That was scaring him. That shocked him. He didn't know what to think. There's always an answer. It has to do with this book. When we stand before God, you know what's going to be used? This book. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3 and verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Remember last week we talked about truth and mercy. When you do the truth, you can expect the mercy. Verse 20 says, For our heart condemneth God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemneth not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I don't know you and your heart. I don't know your heart right now. But if your heart is right with God, I'm not saying if you look right. I'm saying that your God knows you better than anybody else. And if you and God are on the same page, as the song says, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm, I'm thankful it doesn't say, if I have any iniquity in my life, the Lord will not hear me, because the truth is we are all sinners. But regarding it means I know about it. I know it's wrong. I know I've omitted some things. If I regard iniquity, and so God is, God is giving us the opportunity to have a confident heart, a heart that is right before him. And 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we shall have the petitions that we desire of him. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but here's what I think. I think King David heard that Obedidim was being blessed, and King David said, there's got to be something I don't know. There's got to be something I've done wrong. And I think he went to Abedim and said, what is it you know I don't know? Well, sir, part of my job is to study all five books of the Bible. Your job too, king. And here's what it says. But notice the humility of Obedidim, and we'll be done. Back there in First Chronicles chapter 15, where we were at. Let's just quickly go back, and then we'll be done. First Chronicles 15. A couple more places I just want to show you. First Chronicles 15. And there in First Chronicles 15, it said, 
that he was the second string. These are the guys of the second degree, First Chronicles fifteen eighteen, Obedidim, the porters. The porters. And then chapter 26, and I'm not going to have you read all of chapter 26, but you know what chapter 26 is for the first 15 verses? First Chronicles chapter 26, from 1 to verse 15, it's just the list of all of Obedidim and his sons, who were also the porters. They had continued to serve in the second degree as porters. Concerning the division of the porters of the Kohathites was all these names, and one of those names was Obedidim. Those were the, in verse 4, those were the porters. He said, well, what in the world exactly was a porter? Well, back there in chapter 15, verse 24, the Bible usually defines itself. You don't usually have to go outside of it to figure it out. A porter is mentioned in verse 18, but look at verse 24. Shabaniah and Jehoshaphat and Hathaniel and Amasiah and Zechariah and Benaiah and Eleazar the priest did blow with the trumpets before the ark of God. And Obedidim and Jehiah, who were called porters in verse 18, are now called doorkeepers. They were the doorkeepers for the ark. And we started out tonight reading Psalm 84. And you know who wrote Psalm 84? David. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I think David learned something from Abedidim. You know, a doorkeeper can know more of the Bible than a king. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather just have a humble position in God's house doing it God's way than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather just serve God in the simple way. And I'm telling you right now, it is a huge blessing to the people all around you when, when you just do what you're supposed to do to the best of your ability, faithfully serving the Lord, obeying everything he says. And you're an example to the, to the king. Quickly in the New Testament, we have some examples of that and, and we're done. Romans chapter 12, verse, verse number three. For I say through the grace that is given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dwelt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members of one body, and all the members are not, have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are all individual members made up in the body of Christ. And it does not matter if one member seems to be less significant than the other and maybe you're second degree and you're just a doorkeeper. I'm going to tell you right now, your job is to be faithful at that position. And your sons, is there any wonder why the sons of Obedidim served faithfully as doorkeepers? Because they lived with the ark for three months and they saw God's blessing on their family. And they knew that God's way was the best way. And then last, here's the last passage, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. You want to be great, Jesus said? Learn to be a servant. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper because I found out something from a doorkeeper. That sometimes doorkeepers know more about what God's word says than some of us big shots. I hope that you're humble enough to still know what God's word says. I hope that you're not proud and arrogant enough to assume that you can do it without God's word. Because one day you'll find yourself using a worldly cart and it's going to cost you. Instead, do it God's way. Be a humble servant and do it God's way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opportunity to teach it and preach it tonight.